Okay, so this is uh, lesson number 12, the Christian's responsibility to God. And, and in our uh, What is Christian Orthodoxy, this is the 12th point. My original version of that had 10 points. Then I added another one. Then I added another one. <laughs> uh, basically, the first one I added was personal holiness was important. and Because uh, that's clearly taught everywhere in the New Testament. So... Um, so we have the two files here that, that just supplements that for your own purpose, but, uh, oh, and those numbers are not dates <laughs> I'm just in the range of 1900 numbers that I'm assigning. So for these files, um, so the 12th essential and the introductory statement about that being a Christian is a, a serious and deadly life committing experience. It is not for the faint of heart. It is only for those who are existentially committed to serving God with and through their very life and all of the resources and blessings that God has committed to you. We were brought to God, uh, we were bought by God at a very high price, the blood of Jesus Christ. This life is not a game. It is, a, it is spiritual warfare against Satan and his servants. We in ourselves are not up for the, to, to this lifelong battle. This battle can only be won because we serve God in the authority of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. We do not war with flesh and blood, but by the wisdom and power of God. So I put in two passages here that talk about this. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. See, and, and that's an easy error to make, to fall into working in the flesh. Yeah. Uh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So, again, all these scriptures are from the New American Standard. Um, and it's easy when you're ministering in some kind of ministry to slip into the flesh. And your service in ministry will be burned up at the bema seat of Christ if that's what you did. Either that moment or you operate that routinely. You're wasting your time in terms of praise from Christ if you do it in the flesh. The bema seat is about your motive and your purpose. Is it to glorify God and glorify Christ, not accomplish something? And we can get so focused on, well, i got to accomplish this, or, and it's important. Um, I don't know if you remember, it was a, years ago, uh, there was a Presbyterian minister that shot and killed an abortionist. Yeah, remember that? Oh, it's interesting. You could pull that up. It's probably in the 70s, but I'm not sure, or 80s. But that's not minister for God's glory. You know, I mean... But you can get to the point that you believe, I have to save these babies. God can save these babies anytime he wants. But he calls us to act 
spiritually in spiritual warfare, not in physical or flesh. But it's very tempting, and we, can, we all will fall into it at some point, and we need to back off and say, wait a minute, what does God want me to do? I mean, because he's omnipotent. He can handle this. But he chooses to let us bless him and ourselves. But only if we do it in the spirit. Does that make sense? So these are very practical things we're dealing with here. Because our natural instinct is to go to the flesh, right? How many have been there? <laughs> so I, I certainly have. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. That's the edification of the church. We, that's the purpose of the church. principal one is to edify the saints. Keep sober in spirit. In other words, you're going to live by the spirit. Um, don't uh, let the spirit get out of hand. And, and this gets complicated, whether you're a dichotomous or trichotomous. But in the new birth, our spirit was either created new or was transformed from darkness to light, depending on which view you hold. But the word created something new that did not exist before. And so uh, you can... That spirit can slip back to the old flesh, too. The soul, the mind, the emotions, the personality, that part of us is still corrupted, you know, and the body goes along with it. So we, we have to prepare our minds, which is in this part of the soul, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Again, holy means set apart for God's purpose. doesn't mean righteousness. It overlaps with righteousness, and there's a whole connotation. But the word hagias in the Greek, uh, means holy, set apart. And that's the same word that's used for saints. Saints are to be holy. And that doesn't mean entirely righteous. But we should be striving for righteousness. And if we want to serve God, we have to be set aside, ready to serve. If he calls you somewhere and you say, well, I can't do that. I don't have any skill in that. Don't worry about it. The Spirit will take care of it. <laughs> I mean... <coughs> God can change you completely and equip you in ways that you couldn't even conceive of. I just hope he never calls me to be a Hebrew scholar. <laughs> I'm not a language guy. But if he did, I, I'd have to accept it. <laughs> you know? um, if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on the earth. Now, how many churches teach the fear of God? Nowadays, not many, not many. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, 
but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last day, times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So again, spiritual warfare has to be a complete change of, of who you are in Christ. And uh, one of my problems with many evangelical churches, that they don't mean to do this, and they preach the gospel, and it's clear enough, but lost people don't understand it. And so, but they give a method. You know, we're going to give an invitation. You can come forward, and, um, which is never mentioned in the Bible. And they come forward with tears even, and, you know, they're sorry for their sin, and they recognize it. And then they maybe take them in the back and counsel them. It depends what the counselor says. Uh, and then they get them to say the sinner's prayer. And, uh, and then they arrange for them to get baptized, and then they join the church. That doesn't mean they're saved. Did the Holy Spirit regenerate their heart? Did the Holy Spirit make a new creation out of them? A brand new. Now, there's some things that, that happen in a true new birth. You are changed. Never to be like that in the old. Now, you have sin. You still have old things that you have to struggle with. But it's a dramatic thing that you're changed. And uh, your nature has changed from a sin nature to a God nature. Now, it's imperfect, the God nature. And I always use the saying, problem with living uh, sacrifices, they want to crawl off the altar all the time. You know? But we are a living sacrifice. We were crucified with Christ. Now, before I was saved, I didn't know that. You know? But everyone who God has chosen was crucified with Christ, the old flesh. Now, I got to, in this life, practically kill off that old flesh. That doesn't mean cutting parts off, anything like that. That means denying the flesh its appetites. See? And a lot of people, too, uh, let's say the saved, uh, they say, well, I haven't found a good church yet. I'll just do church at home, but they don't understand that they're born again. In Christ, they're in a family. That's right. The part of the family. Right. And if, if you can't find a good church, if you're in some little mountain community, you know, with 200 people, you, you may not have a good church, then get a Bible study starting your home, and that can be a home church, and, and do church properly. So, um, but it's, um, okay, so um, this is our, our statement that out of the um, what is Christian orthodoxy. This is the Christian's responsibility, teleology. That the word teleology, it comes from the Greek, has to do with design. What were we designed for? What was Adam and Eve designed for and intended for? Well, you know, that goes into a whole thing, but certainly to be in faith to God, in communion with God. So Christians are to live their lives in conformity to the clear teachings of Scripture. So part of living in communion with God is to believe His Word and His teaching. The second element is in holiness set aside for service to God. And the third element is in order to glorify Him. 
So number one, the first, the Christian's responsibility to God in, in this, I don't know what I did there, boy, in this life probably. Um, so the first element, and I just repeat that statement of the first element, Christians are to live their lives in conformity to the clear teachings of Scripture. God has defined who we are in Christ as saints of the Most High God. Since we have received an immense gift of grace and mercy from God, we likewise must be faithful to Him for what He has wrought within our hearts at the very dear sacrifice of His beloved Son for our sakes. We dare not make any excuses as to why we did not serve Him out of love and, and gratitude for what He has done. He has rescued us from darkness. He has brought us into the uh, whole realm of light and separated us and, and crucified us with Christ, uh, the old man. And so we're a new man and woman in Christ. Our position in Christ, who are we in Christ? Well, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, if you're born again, you have been blessed in every um, spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Well, you haven't experienced that yet, have you? You've experienced blessings, but you haven't experienced that yet. But it's done already. You know, it's with God, He's omnipresent. Um, uh, omniscient it's completed but we're in time we're stuck in time and guess what we struggle in this life and that's normal and, and first John says in the first chapter if you say you're without sin you make God out to be a liar As it, and this is to the saints and these are where it gets ready to tell the diagnostics to test yourself to see if you're in the faith there are about 20 diagnostics in the first John chapter that you may know, that you may know over and again. And it gives 20 different diagnostics. Some of them are parallel and, and similar um, and repeated, but the point is there are 20 different ones. And you can find those uh, just by looking for the word no, K-N-O-W, and that, and that you may know the phrase. Uh, so, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's already been done. I don't experience it. I experience moments of it in my life. And any Christian should have experienced moments of it. And in fact, during my salvation, I definitely experienced it. But uh, not day to day, I don't. Uh, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. You feel blameless before God? <laughs> I don't, but I am. My, who I am in Christ. It's not like Christ and I stand together. I'm in Christ. So when he sees me, he sees Christ. He took our rap sheet. He gave us his resume. Yep, yep. That's a good way to put it. So, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to, to the kind intention of his will. Um, 
in the pre, uh, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So the, the grace was given to us freely. We didn't pay a price. We didn't have to accomplish anything. Uh, he predestined us before time began uh, to be adopted as sons uh, and brothers of Jesus Christ himself. And he did it according to the kind intention of his will. And um, people say, well, on what basis did he choose you? I don't know. Verse 11 of Ephesians 1 um, has a, an answer to that, which is not satisfactory because it says according to the counsel of his will. You know, and so just stop there. Don't try to go any further. I, I, didn't, I don't know of any merit that I had nor should I ever think that I had merit. It's according to his own counsel. And someday we may know something about that. But right now, I don't. But I praise God. And the more I understand that I didn't merit, the more I can praise God. But if I hang on to the worldly idea that, well, I must have merited, I must have done something good. You know? <laughs> and... Um, no, you, you really can't praise God properly if, if you think that you're part of your own salvation. We can gather from Scripture that uh, what God rejects or who God rejects for salvation are, are the lies of the world. Mm -hmm. wisdom. I mean, he still chooses many of them. Yeah. But most of them it seems that Rejects. It's the narrow path, you know. Paul Bunyan, um, John Bunyan's, what's that famous book? Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress, yeah, it gives you a <laughs> great allegory of that. Um, so the first element of Essential Twelves brings us full circle to our very first essential. I got it down below here, and uh, how it is applied to our lives. Remember the first essential, God has revealed himself to man through general revelation, the cosmos and conscience, and through special revelation, scripture, both of which are without error. Both can be and often are misinterpreted by man, resulting in error. Now we start our next series, uh, False Teaching Then and Now, we're going to see um, how we do misinterpret scripture. We, we become careless. Uh, we don't understand the hermeneutics of it, the principles of, of interpretation. Um, so, and uh, I, I want to say this again because people often say, well, all you Christians believe all different stuff. If you go to every denomination um, of the standard den den denominations and look at their, their creed or confession or statement of faith from 200 years ago or 150 years ago, and you mark them up side by side, you'll see that they that the eleven or tw the twelve things that we talk about are all on them. We all agree. Now there are distinctives, differences. The way we baptize, the way we our eschatology, uh, future things are are different and stuff. And those are important, but they're not. We don't all believe something else. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. We believe in uh, substitutionary atonement by Christ, etc. So, um, 
So the, the statement is, is a sloppy and not thought out, and people just heard that and they repeat it. Well, all the Christians believe something different. Why should I bother being a Christian? Well, they don't. That's, now, today, they often don't, many churches have creeds or confessions that are really quite good, but they've drifted away from it. So what's the point? And if you, it's pretty normal. Just get a, take a given church. They start out, and uh, of any denomination, they start out, and people are excited, and they sacrifice and give money and labor and get build a church and and do witnessing and, and do all this stuff, and they and they do serious teaching and serious preaching, and then uh, that older generation dies away in 20, 30 years, and then the youth take over the next generation. Well, they, they saw the, the, the fire in the belly of their parents and grandparents, but they don't have that. But they're serious. They believe it. Another generation later, it's irrelevant. So churches don't last much more than 100 years, typically. 95% of churches don't last more than 100 years. And the church will be sold off for a restaurant or another church or, you know, someone converts it to a house. <laughs> What's uh, Charles Spurgeon's church? I know it's well, it's gone through cycles, but it, it is um, a conservative church. But it, it wasn't always a conservative church. And it's much smaller now. But yeah, they, they just don't. But there are churches, I mean, particularly famous buildings like that, <laughs> you know. So... Um, so there are many commands given to us within Scripture that teach us how to live in righteousness before God. But just as important is that we live before God in holiness, set apart for service to Him, ever ready to do the works which God has prepared for each of us, each one of us to do, doing so in response to the prompting of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So... <clears throat> be under the same first element. How did we arrive at such an exalted position in Christ? Well, the answer is redemption. And I have three bullets here. Since we have been purchased by God at great price, the blood of his son, we must live in that context before the face of God, quorum Deo, is the Latin phrase that uh, R.C. Sproul liked to use. It's very useful. We don't want to forget we live before the face of God. Every thought, every act will all be judged. And we're responsible for those things. We're not going to lose our salvation if we're saved, but uh, the Bema Seat could be a place of many tears when we see how we failed our Lord and Savior and not been greatest, gracious. Now, usually if you're not gracious, you're probably not saved. You just went through the motions. Okay. Now, we'll all be... A, not gracious sometime. Um, the second bullet, since we have been crucified, dead and buried with Christ, we must live in that context before the face of God. Um, and the th third bullet, since we have been resurrected to newness in life, we must live in that context before the face of God. So... <clears throat> In the new birth, it's a complicated process theologically. What happens? I mean, God 
does the choosing and, and etc. And the Holy Spirit uh, is the hound of heaven. Um, but um, your salvation is fixed, pure. Now, one of the diagnostics in 1 John, I think in chapter 4, is if they let leave, if they leave you, they never were of you. So you say, well, what about, I knew a guy, he was a Christian, he was hot for the Lord and all this, and then uh, 10 years later, he's kind of doesn't even believe in God anymore. He never was a Christian. He ha had intellectual assent. You know, he believes something. That doesn't make you a Christian. It's faith, um, and deep faith in God that's unchangeable. Yes? Did you ever hear a story about the guy who was painted the uh, Last Supper? Leonardo? I, mean, I don't... It's been a while. Yeah. Da Vinci. What's that? Da Vinci did it. Leonardo Da Vinci. Leonardo? Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, well... Uh, didn't he uh, find a guy he needed to play Jesus? It was the first one he painted. And then he painted everybody else with the same thing, following people for everybody else's role. And then years later, he needed somebody for Judas. Uh, you know, I heard that he, you know, he went to like, prison, wherever, mm -hmm. and found this guy. And he says, I, I need you for a painting. I'm painting Judas mm -hmm. doing the Last Supper. And the guy had tears in his eyes. And he says, you don't remember me, do you? And the, our, I guess Leonardo said, no, I don't. And he said, well, I was Jesus. I was the, the model for Jesus that you painted. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, when I heard that, I was like, wow. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. I, I've I, never I don't heard know. it. Yeah. Maybe it was somebody else that did another painting. I mean, I don't know. No, no, it would be that one. They're just. Yeah, yeah. It may be just a story to, yeah, you know, be, made it around. Like it. to dig deep into that. Yeah. Yeah. Be interesting. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it's a good illustration, though. The point is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great illustration. Yeah. Ephesians one seven through twelve. Now this would get verse 11 in here, so that's the one I was talking about earlier. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. And here's verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to his purpose, who works all thing after the, things after the counsel of his will. That's not exactly the kind of answer a lot of people want, but that is. That's where scripture stops, so just stop there. You don't owe anybody an explanation. The Holy Spirit will take care of if, if he's, the person needs to be saved. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. That's the end point of our salvation is that we would glorify God. Not that, oh, I'll go to heaven. Well, that's true. I will go to heaven and I am in Christ. 
but it's that I glorify God in this life and in the future. So that's a high calling. We don't just get our ticket punched and sit around and wait till I die. You know, we have to serve God, Christ. We have to serve God. We have to proclaim him. Any questions about that first element, which was uh, Christians are to live their lives in, in conformity to the clear teachings of Scripture. The second element, in holiness, set aside for service to God. In the transaction to become God's children, we were transferred from the realm of darkness, deceit, and death to the realm of light, truth, and life. In this exchange, we, were, we have incurred certain obligations, obligations that are part of our new relationship with the Godhead and in particular are part of our new birth, creation into a new family member. Our major change in obligation is to be holy before the only, the only living God. And then I wrote, uh, this was a quote from David Wells from the book, uh, The Courage to be Protestant. A very, a very good book to read if, if you're interested in understanding what's wrong with evangelicalism now. But consider, without the holiness of God, then there is no cross. Without the cross, there is no gospel. Without the gospel, there is no Christianity. Without Christianity, there is no church. And with, without echoes of the holiness of God in those who are Christ, there is no recognizable church. What is it about this chain of connection that the evangelical church is not understanding that is leading it to soft pedal, overlook, or ignore the holiness of God? <clears throat> the Comfort Christianity. Oh, yeah. It's, it's convenient. It's not a nuisance. I mean, you just got to get up Saturday morning, Sunday morning, but you can go Saturday night too. But... Um, there's no sacrifice. There's no commitment. It's just we're here for the kids. So the kids. That's just like uh, Hinduism. I mean, you know, you share the gospel with a Hindu, mm -hmm. he'll say, "Oh, that's a good idea. I'll include him in the gospel." Yeah, another, another, another hundreds of thousands of gods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of pagan uh, religions are that way, and, and people go to these. Uh, outlandish places and they preach the gospel and teach about Christ but they don't they don't explain who God is that he's only the only God and he's holy and righteous beyond your comprehension and powerful beyond your comprehension because they'll add another God that's no big deal so 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Boy, he's meddling, isn't he? <laughs> like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. If you haven't, then this is all irrelevant to you. We'll continue reading. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. The Jews rejected Jesus and had him crucified. They couldn't stand his words because they treated him 
as, as though he were just a human and the words would be blasphemous if he was just a human. Now he did all those miracles, but they, they ignored that. Um, but that stone is a living stone. It's the cornerstone of the church, but it's the rejected stone of the world. The Romans, the, the, the Jews, the uh, Gentiles, it, it was all rejected. Um, you also, as living stones, oh, this is getting uh, serious. The church is built up on the cornerstone, the, the point of measuring and truth, but it consists of all of us. We're all living stones in the church, um, which is being built up in a spiritual house for a ho holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected has become the very cornerstone, and a cornerstone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. That would be called reprobation when God elects <coughs> to um, lostness. Right. <clears throat> Where it says being built up of spiritual hope, that's corporate, meaning the church, obviously individual, but it doesn't mean yeah. mostly corporate. It's made up of individual saints. The universal church and the local church are made up of individual saints. Now, there's something wrong when the church accepts people to membership without some kind of screening because they end up with churches where it's 30 to 50% lost people. And uh, Christ is the ruler of the church. So how can he do that if, if it's made up of lost people? <clears throat> so, so the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for God's own glory, own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of him who has, been, who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. <clears throat> Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, now the church was going through persecution, and they would slander and they would say, well, they're, they're cannibals because we eat the flesh of Christ in our services and we drink his blood. Well, they made that out to be cannibalism, and they made it out where you, we eat children, you know, and things like that. Or they slander the early church, and they'll do it today. And people, <clears throat> the story I just told earlier about, well, you all believe this different things, so that's, that's just a sloppy slander, someone's excuse. They've constructed a barrier, a fortress, to, to not believe. And we need to tear those down in gentleness, and reverence and love, but we need to tear those down. 
We're not going to argue with them about it. We're going to say, that's not true. I'd like to correct you. Consider this. You know, and you can get some creeds and confessions and see. They all believe pretty much the same thing. Now, there are differences, but they're, they're not that important. They're not part of these essentials. Um, so keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing that, in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, become, may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, this sounds like I don't think this one's talking about that they would accept Christ and be saved. I think this is when the great white throne judgment, when God holds every man accountable, they will glorify God because you told them. So when you witness and no, and no one responds, because that's not my gift. That's not a gift, it's a command. <laughs> and you witnessed a, a dear friend for 20 years and he never accepts, or you witnessed your dear sweet uncle uh, for 40 years and they pass away and they never accepted. Boy, I just failed. No, you didn't. If it's a great white throne, people glorify God. What a privilege that you had to be a witness to God that would bring about lost people being judged, ready to be sent to hell, glorifying God. Because his, his justice is perfect. No one's going to say, wait a minute, you got it wrong, I'm innocent. <laughs> He's got all the records. <laughs> okay, third element. To live their lives in order to glorify him. Throughout scripture, the glory uh, towards God is given as the highest purpose of all that God has done and the way he has done things. We saints are to be the wisdom and voice of praise to our God, even though for the moment we see through a glass darkly. That's from 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And I'm, I'm quoting the King James Version because it uses those same words. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, uh, now I know in part, but then I will know even as also I am known. <clears throat> Don't get caught in the trap that you have to be able to answer every question when you witness. You can say, I don't know, good question. Let me get back with you on that. But there are questions that theologians don't know. And you can just say, the Bible's silent on that. God doesn't owe us an explanation. He is, this is who he is. And this verse would be a good one. For now, we see through a glass darkly. Now, back then, they didn't have glass mirrors. They had metal mirrors. And they get a little corroded, and you, know, and you, you don't see very well. Metal mirror doesn't work nearly as good as a glass mirror, which has a... a uh, a reflective metal coating behind it. But, um, but then, face to face, there's we will see God as he is. Now I know in part, I, I know part of it, but then I shall know uh, even as also I am known. So since God knows me entirely, I will know God entirely, at least in some comparative sense. 
Um, I, I've used a model, and I, I think I could prove it from Scripture or give it a lot of evidence. I haven't taken the time to do that, and I apologize. But I like the model, so I use it. And people, because I've heard people say, "Well, I don't want to sit on a cloud and play a harp for eternity." <laughs> oh, yeah, of course not. <laughs> you don't have any musical skill. <laughs> well, we only do that on a rotational basis. Yeah, right, right. I I say that think of of terrible things that have happened in in your life, your family's life, and. In, in, that you know of in, in society. We can all think of serial killers and I mean just horrible things and child molesters and, and you say, well, why did that happen? In heaven, we won't worship God because I've got the two to four shift. I will worship God because he will reveal to us then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know, even as I also am known. That would be the first verse. God will give us the answer to that question, which we couldn't understand on this earth. We could understand bits and pieces. We don't have the mental capacity to see what he's done. But we will praise him because I can't do otherwise. Did you ever hear of an aha, aha moment where you suddenly get it? You know, they're kind of wonderful. We get them occasionally, you know. I think in heaven, it'll be an eternity of aha moments by which we praise God or for which we praise God. Not because I got the two to four shift, but because I can't help it. I'll be in tears of joy and ecstasy. Our faith and our hope is... Completed at that point. Continue to love, so that's why you know one Corinthians thirteen is that the love that. So uh, the point is, is that uh, heaven's not going to be a boring place. It's going to be astounding to you. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, be, because you don't want to sit on a cloud and play a harp all day. <laughs> well, you're not going to be there. I know. <laughs> that's not your job. <laughs> the angels will handle that. Yeah. Okay, uh, I go on there from that. Technically, we do not cause God to be glorified. He is already glorious beyond our ability to make uh, to even comprehend. So in a sense, we shouldn't use glorify God as a verb because we don't glorify God. Our real purpose as saints of God is to confess and acknowledge to God in our understanding of his infinite glory and to proclaim this glory to a lost and dying world. In other words, that he's already glorious beyond our ability to even comprehend. We don't need to glorify him, although we can. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But it's puny compared to what he already is. But we do recognize it because we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. And we should have moments of ecstasy in this life where we, in our prayers or in our meditations that we said, wow, I cannot imagine that, you know. And, um, and sometimes you can bring that ecstasy to other Christians. When you go through a very difficult time and, and you, you, you grieve, you know, and things like that, but you come out of it 
recognizing the, and proclaiming the glory of God and the glory of Christ. Yeah, and other people... Oh, yeah. 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 I was thinking about music, uh, and I don't know why. I'm not a music guy, but... Uh, <clears throat> it's, I had in mind some hymn that, you know, about that glorifies God, and a lot of our hymns glorify God. That's good. But they always glorify Him around principally His love, love towards us. <laughs> okay, that, and that's good. God is love. Well, no, that's not true. <laughs> well, yeah. wait a minute. I'll find you a verse. I, I understand, but that, that, that gets into... The, but the point is, I never see a verse where we glorify God for His wrath. His wrath is perfect and holy and just and loving. All of the attributes of God can be expressed. It doesn't always work out in English, but 90% of the time it does. Any attribute of God that you name out of the 40, perhaps, you can take every other attribute and make it an adverb to that attribute. So God's love is holy, just, uh, complete, uh, wrathful. Why does that work? That's part of I'll see face to face. Um, uh, his love isn't just transcendent. It is that, but it's also imminent. It's towards people, you know. So you can take all these attributes and, you, and list each one separately and in front of them put all the other attributes. And, and it would be a, you'd start to get a sense of the Scratching beauty. The yeah, the beauty and at least what's been revealed to us in Scripture. So, but I, I sometimes think about that. Well, why not write a hymn that would proclaim uh, the glory of God and His justice? And I think that's been done, perhaps. And there's probably some old hymns that have a lot of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a question about yes. that. Why don't we sing now? I don't know. It's become secular in its meaning, but it shouldn't be. It's, it's, a, it's a Christian hymn. Yeah. Well, and there's verses that most of us haven't heard. You know, we just know the main one, you know. Okay, um, but we don't glorify God in terms of bringing glory to him that he does not have. We proclaim the glory. We, ex we, have, uh, we have knowledge of the glory. We exclaim the glory. We praise the glory. Um, but he's already glorious. We don't bring anything to him on that. Um, we tend to be idolaters because we presumptively believe that we are equal to or greater than God in our understanding of his glory. We humans think that we can improve on his glory, which is the error that we don't want to fall into. Romans 12, 1 through 5. And I've loved this verse for many years, but therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, that's where I get the idea of a living sacrifice crawls off the altar all the time, but it needs to stay on the altar. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
Worship is really presenting your body as a living sacrifice and one that's acceptable to God. So how you live is really part of your worship. Um, and do not be conformed to this world. Now there's the problem in our churches and our saints. We tend to be very much like everyone else. Now, I'm not saying we have to go out of our way to paint a blue stripe across our forehead or anything like that, but I'm, I'm saying that people that know you well should wonder, why are you different? I remember once there was a, uh, when I was out at Rocky Flats in Denver, um, there was a big nuclear facility like Oak Ridge, um, and a friend, a Christian friend of mine, and I were talking in the aisle just for a few minutes, and it was about Christian stuff. And uh, uh, a lady, uh, an Indian lady um, that I, I knew years before, and I'd worked with her at, at another plant and worked with her out there. Um, and... Uh, She'd moved to this country when she was a nine-year-old, I think, and she was Hindu. But she said to both of us, she says, you guys are different. What's different? <laughs> and uh, we sat down and talked to her about it. And, but she saw something different. Now that should be, I'm not saying standard in the sense of everybody's going to ask you that, but you should live a way, in such a way that you cause people to wonder. Is he just weird? That's one common feeling, right? Everybody has been thought of as weird because you're a Christian? Sure. But if they see love and they see um, God's glory in you, um, if they see the right things, that they would say, this is not normal, then, then you're living right. And you've got a great witness. Now, when they ask, we have to give them a reason for that, right? So. But how many people actually ask? Not very rarely get people asking me about that. But it's a narrow path. Most people will just write you off as a kook. I blame it on the church, man. I think the church ought to send out more, like, like the Mormons doing, you know, two by two, you know, door knocking. Phone calling, dropping postcards in the mail. I, I used to be a salesman, so that's yeah. my three big things. You know yeah. how, to, how to bring get more sales, but at the same. Well, you weren't a salesman by accident, so God prepared you to do such things. A different set of skills. To be one guy, man. You know what I'm saying? Go do the evangelism implosion. I'm not. I'm not a Billy Graham type. No, but. If you see our youth, if you see our youth, they spend a, a week canvassing all around a mile. Yeah, they go two mile radius, yeah. knocking on every door. Yeah, and witnessing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So. And I think that's a good thing because when sure. I'm out there on my own, you know, some, you know, every once in a while, you know, something gets a little yeah. scary for me. You sure. Know what I mean? Sure. So that's another good thing to have somebody else there with you, you know. And also to lift you up, you know, you lift each other up and say, well, 
Well, forget about it, man. Well, Mark Dew has a um, campus ministry like that. He meets here and trains people and Who's stuff. That? Mark Dew in our church. Oh, okay. D Last name's D-E-W, Mark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Chris, Chris, what do you say about that? <laughs> well, uh, we do we do all those things that you just described. So. No, I'm not saying here. I'm saying... No, no, I understand. Because I don't even know you guys yet. You know yeah. what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, places I've been and mm -hmm. things I see on TV or on the radio here. Well, of course not. They're here. Different places. Um, anyway. Yeah. That's good to know. Okay, so uh, conclusion. We can add nothing to God's glory. We can and must express and proclaim God's glory with and to others. And third, we must acknowledge God's glory as being of the highest order beyond our own ability to fully comprehend. So I have three quotes here. It gets boring. I, they're different quotes, but I use the, many of the same names. I like their writing. A.W. Pink from Free Grace Broadcaster. Our, our table in there, literature table, has uh, a section. They used to have a lot, but Free Grace Broadcaster. You can get their stuff for free. I mean, and you can get a quarterly that has uh, 12, 15 uh, classic sermons in it and stuff. And it's free. And it's good to donate to their ministry but it's just a church that's what they do they print up all these old uh, uh, Spurgeon sermons and all these other people so <clears throat> Spurgeon uh, in this union the title of this one was union with Christ and um, the scriptures have much to say about the uh, upon the union that exists between Christ and his people at that day you know you shall know that I am in my father and ye in me and I in you John 14, 20. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 6, uh, 17. For ye, uh, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Ephesians 5, 30 and 32. What an astonishing thing it is that there should be a union between the Son of God and worms of the earth, that's us, infinitely more so than if the king of Great Britain had married the poorest and ugliest woman in all of his realm. How immeasurable is the distance between the creator and the creature, between deity and mortal man. How wonderful beyond words that sinful wretches should be made one with him before whom the seraphim veil their faces and cry, holy, holy, holy. I like these because they cause you to look at another bracket of this, you know, think of it a different way for a short time. G.I. Packer from his famous book, Knowing God, um, page 86. Um, and I got a comment there of my own. But a God who pres whose presence and scrutiny I could evade would be a small and trivial deity. But the true God is great and terrible just because he is always with me and his eye is always upon me. Living becomes an awesome business when you realize that you spend every moment of your life in the sight and company of an omnipotent, omnipresent creator. 
So my own comment is R.C. Sproul often used the Latin phrase quorum Deo, meaning we live before the face of God. That is a glorious and terrible truth. It is a terrible truth, and it's meant to, to grab us by the neck and pay attention. We live quorum Deo, before the face of God. And that was a famous phrase by R.C. Sproul. Michael Horton from The Coming Evangelical Crisis just as the Bible was used to justify one philosophical school over another in the Middle Ages, in our day it is shaped like a wax nose to suit the latest fad. The problem is that this happens in churches that claim fidelity to the inerrancy of Scripture. The unfaithfulness is difficult to mark objectively since there is a high view of Scripture in theory, whatever the practice, while liberals of various stripes undercut biblical authority by direct assaults Evangelicals of various stripes are today undermining biblical authority by claiming one thing in theory, the authority of an inerrant Bible, while practicing, in practice, giving priority to secular disciplines and popular culture in defining the shaping of the spiritual diet. Theology is con uh, considered irrelevant, whereas practical tips for success in business, marriage, child rearing, rearing and personal um, self-fulfillment seems to suddenly be the Bible's major preoccupation. In other words, the Bible is meant to say things that it does not actually say and to be interested in things it does not actually show a uh, marked concern for. And all the while, it is still touted as the inerrant and inspired. But after it has been made relevant to our felt needs, it is no longer the Bible. It is actually our culture that is speaking in the guise of scripture. So we have to be careful. It's, uh, we, we live quorum Deo before the face of God. And uh, there is the beam of seat of Christ for those that are saved. And there is the white throne judgment for those that aren't. And uh, God is a fearsome God. I refer to the Bema seat of Christ. I never use the word judgment because the word Bema in Greek means dias. A dias is an elevated platform from which a speaker speaks or a judge judges. And it's uh, it, it, in Corinthians, it, uh, Corinth was, had uh, athletic games like Athens did. And so they would have a judge for the athletic games and they would give crowns. Okay. Our judgment was the, the cross. All my sins were judged. I, I've often said, God doesn't just forgive sin. You know, he doesn't say, oh, well, that's okay. I'll let it go this time. No, no. It was every sin was judged on the cross. It's not ever going to be judged elsewhere. It's done. The judgment's complete. And what did Jesus say? His last words on the cross? It is finished. He's talking about the judgment. It's finished. So the Bema seat is not the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, it, although that's fair, that is a, a meaning of Bema, but I think it misleads people like, well, Christians are going to be judged for their sins. No, it's for your motive in your good works. You may have done good works, but if your motive was wrong, it'll be burned up. And another place, in the, it says, and you'll be saved even though by fire. So you'll have the smell of smoke on you. <laughs> when you come away. <laughs> so, but, and I think uh, 
the Bema Seed is a, a, a wonderful thing, but it will be many tears too because we worked in the flesh instead of in the spirit. So we need to be careful that we do work in accordance with God's plan and for his glory.